Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host, but I'm by myself today, except for joining us via Zoom. Very special guest, the chair of the Libertarian Party and member of the Mises Caucus Insurgency, Angela McArdle. Angela, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Well, we really appreciate your time coming on here. So obviously I alluded to what we're going to be talking about today uh, with this article from The Hill. And I have to preface this conversation. So there's there's two of us on this show. Uh, Charlie is not able to be here today. He is actually a member of the Libertarian Party, and I'm not. He joined because we had we had Josiah on the show and Josiah converted him live on the show. It was a beautiful moment anytime you see that happen. Uh, but I haven't done that yet. And I, I'm hoping that you can nudge me along because I really want to do it. I don't know why I All haven't right. yet. I mean, I'm a libertarian at heart. I'm a Ron Paul, Ayn Rand libertarian. I was a member of the LP until that 2020 election cycle happened, and I went ahead and left the party at that time. So what I want to figure out is why I haven't joined, why I haven't seen that as uh, something valuable enough for, for me to do. And I bet you there's a lot of other people like me out there as well, that are libertarians that haven't joined the party yet. So I, w- I would like to fix the situation. But before we get into that, I guess you could introduce yourself to the, to the people listening. Sure. So my name is Angela McArdle. I chair the National Libertarian Party. I've been active in the party for several years. I've run for Congress twice in uh, California's 34th Congressional District. I used to be the secretary of the California Libertarian Party and longtime chair of the L.A. County Libertarian Party as well. Been really active in the medical freedom movement uh, throughout my involvement in the LP and before and uh, really passionate about anti-war and uh, economic literacy. This is this is like, I absolutely love it. I love what I do. So from what I can tell in the media, uh, over the last year or so, the Libertarian Party has completely collapsed. Is that the case? That's what I'm picking up right now. You know, it... it we're getting some we're getting some negative media attention from uh, some salty haters who like to go run and smear us to corporate media but otherwise we're doing pretty well i think we're on the up and up uh, there's been a handful of people who have you know thrown a fit and uh, had a temper tantrum and left in a rage taking their ball and gone home best of luck to you with your home sports and the rest of us are doing our thing, man. We're running candidates. We're working on advancing libertarian policy and and getting the philosophy of liberty out there. And I'm really excited about the future of the party. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure everyone is aware, but there was a the Mises caucus came up and kind of took over the party. And mm-hmm. uh, what would you say the biggest difference is between those major factions in the party? I think that... Hmm, Okay, so what I would have said six months ago was that the biggest difference is that the pragmatic element in the party and the Mises caucus have different views about whether or not there's value in mainstream acceptance. 
and that people who are more pragmatic, who are oppositional to the caucus, not everyone who is pragmatic is, by the way, but our detractors, our haters, they are very busy chasing mainstream approval and they operate as though they have very low self-esteem about being libertarians. And the Mises Caucus is very vocal about what we're about. We are staunchly anti-war. It doesn't matter if it's unpopular. We are for economic literacy. Uh, We're tired of being taxed to death. We believe that a long-term strategy is the only successful path forward. And that means beginning and investing at the local level so that you gain political capital, you gain experience, and that that's the closest place that you can really make a difference. And we've seen that in uh, little small, more red or liberty-minded cities and counties that operate in under tyrannical blue state governors, uh, for example. You can push back. You really can at the local level. I would say now, though, that the stark dis- difference that I've seen is, is not so much about mainstream approval. It's really people in the Mises Caucus and people who are sort of caucus neutral We respect natural hierarchy. We are willing to follow our own party's rules and bylaws, and we're not interested in dirty, underhanded tactics. And our detractors don't agree. They think that they operate more like Antifa. It's by any means necessary. If you've got to cheat, if you've got to lie, if you've got to destroy your own organization uh, in order to try to one-up your enemy, that's the way that they want to do it. And I think that that is really the main difference between the two groups. But those people would probably say that you guys are the insurgents that came in and, and destroyed the party, right? They might. Um, and I'm sure they say that about some of us. I've been in the party since before the caucus existed, like quite active, you know, ran for Congress, the whole thing had the party's approval, had had support from national people on the left too, left-leaning libertarians. So you could say that we are we are the insurgents, but what you couldn't say is that we break laws and um, destroy party assets and cheat and steal. Because we've been committed to this since the beginning. It took about five years and we didn't pack up and go home. We stuck it out and said, what we got to do is we got to outgrow and out-recruit and we got to just have the, the better message. So I, I keep calling it, uh, you guys insurgents, as a joke because of this article from The Hill that I wanted to go through with you by Andrew Koppelman. I guess that's the... the yeah. Do you, does he have any affiliation with Libertarian Party at all? Do you know? I'm not, I'm not familiar with him. I okay. did a little bit of research. Well, this article is called, if everyone at home hasn't read it, I'll put a link to the show notes, but it's called The Libertarian Party is Collapsing, and here's why. And Andrew's going to tell everyone why. And so he starts off by saying that a few years after the greatest triumph, the LP is collapsing, torn apart by an insurgency of alt-right sympathizers with racist tendencies. So um, I don't know if you could be any more general than that, but you probably have links to people who are racist, I would say, or ties to, or someone knows someone who is racist. But he does go on to say, I will say, he says that libertarianism is inconsistent with racism, but the libertarian rhetoric has always had powerful attractions for those who wanted to resist racial equality. How is that possible? So I wanted to, this is what I keep hearing. I keep hearing about the yeah. racist and the fascist and the alt-right extremists and, and all of that. 
what's going on with that? Is just is this the same thing that we hear from the media all the time? Anyone who I disagree with is a fascist and a racist? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also remarkable that people are comfortable making these accusations at us while at the same time, these same people say things like our gay members are tokens. They say awful things about our black members that they're um, that they're tokens, that they're Uncle Tom's, so on and so forth. Like if you don't toe the line, then these people are just pretty savage to you. Uh, there's a lot of people in the Mises Caucus who are not white or Caucasian. We have a lot of gay members. We have a handful of trans members. It's there's no there's no. Um, litmus test for how uh, straight and white you have to be to be in the caucus. But I believe that there is definitely a litmus test for, um, you know, ideological thought crimes for, for anyone who wants to oppose the mainstream narrative. And if you don't adopt woke talking points, they're going to call you a racist. They're going to call you a Nazi, a white supremacist. And then the burden is on you to prove yourself and say, I'm not a Nazi which is obviously not a good position to be in PR wise. So I understand why they do it because it's a very good, very aggressive tactic. Uh, I think it's like immoral and reprehensible though, but <laughs> you know, that's neither here nor there. This is politics. Well, the, uh, you know, the author even goes on to name a bunch of the prominent libertarian authors and says that none of those people were racist. And I, I think that that's, it's great that he at least pointed that out, but he does say that the libertarian message can, I guess, be attractive to people who are racist. Do you think there's any credence to the idea that actual racists uh, would find libertarianism, uh, I don't know, something that they would be interested in? I think that people who are racist or who adopt like really antisocial views on society, human interaction, are always going to be attracted to fringe movements no matter what. And so to the extent that we're a fringe movement, we're going to get a handful of weirdos here and there. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, same as same as any other kind of strange fringe movement. So with all the, the name calling in this article, uh, the only thing that they ever bring up as an example is a tweet from the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. And I've seen a lot of talk about this. And if you if you could... They bring up two things. They bring up the uh, LPNH, and then they bring up changing the party platform language. Okay. And so those are the two things. First off, if you could tell me how the party is organized, and you I know you have these separate state affiliates who can basically do their own thing. Why is that? And do you have any thoughts about the messaging from LPNH? So I'm not always excited about what comes out of LPNH's Twitter account. Um, that's no secret. But we are structured in a way that I have absolutely no control over that. And affiliates are fairly autonomous. We, we control the name and to a certain extent some of the branding. And we work together on issues like ballot access and... I'd love to see us have a more unified front on messaging. And, that, and that's something that we have been collaborating with a handful of states on, but it is the, the libertarian party is designed to facilitate a more bottom up process so that the person who's in charge at the national level does not have top down tyrannical control to the extent that I have top down control. Like I have the final say over what happens with staff and a handful of things at national 
but I don't have it over the entire country. And and that's totally okay. Like I'm comfortable with that. We're not going to bat a thousand every time. There's always going to be someone that goes off script and, you know, pulls a Leroy Jenkins. And <laughs> that's just part of, you know, running a giant national movement. You got to you got to roll with the punches sometimes, even if the punches are <laughs> taking place on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, they did delete the post, uh, by the way. They do they point did. that out in the article. Um, they did. I would say I've definitely thought some of the things they posted were great, and I get it. And sometimes I think it's great, but I would understand it not being a good idea to post that as a, as a state party. Uh, and then sometimes I think that they just go a little bit too far, but I do like the idea that I like the separation, uh, between the state parties, but do you think there's any value in the way that the other parties would do it, where they have this unified message that the whole party's putting forward all the time? Um, there's, there's value in it, but I just don't think that it would really work as well with libertarians. And we're very much people who need to do their own thing. You know, the other thing too is because we're sort of strapped on resources, we have to trust people to run their own affiliates and we have to give them a certain degree of autonomy because we can't do it all on our own. And so we do have to support each other. And sometimes that means, you know, Jesus take the wheel, you know, you're going to, you're going to let someone else be in charge of their own affairs. I guess it's, it's actually a pretty libertarian way to run things, right? Like, I don't know what's best for, um, I don't know what's best for every libertarian in Nevada. They know what's best for them. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. I, I think sometimes it can lead to a little bit of a disorganization and we have these issues like this, uh, but also we believe in free speech. <laughs> And, yep. you know, no one was harmed in the tweeting of these words. So uh, so that's OK. Now, how about we condemn bigotry as irrational and repugnant? Oh, I mean, this is like, what is bigotry? No yeah. one can agree on what bigotry is. And they hate when I say this. This is going to get clipped. They hate when <laughs> Angel doesn't know what bigotry is. Well, that's because you call everyone a bigot that you don't like. You know, I'm kind of bigoted against communism. I'll own that. Yeah. I'm kind of bigoted against like war and blowing up innocent children in foreign countries. I'm an, I'm an anti-war, you know, like bigot, I guess. But when, when our detractors use the word bigot, it's just a catch all insult for their political enemies. That's all it means is they're like, we don't like your politics. Therefore you're a bigot. I got you. So that so that was the idea behind removing that, not because you actually wanted to bring a bunch of bigots into the party. I'm just trying to get this yeah. all worked out properly. I mean, those people, people who are like hardcore racist. Uh, no, you don't. You can't. It's impossible to know what someone's thinking privately. We don't we don't believe in thought crimes. We don't know people's private thoughts. But for people who are loud and out about being racist or who believe in an ethno state and that kind of creepy stuff, those people don't last in the party because the culture for that isn't here. We are really we really believe in individualism. Well, first and off, so that's what we promote. Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, if anyone's not a real libertarian, a uh, racist or a bigot, someone who groups people together by the color of their skin or their sex or whatever it is, they're not libertarian anyway they might be attracted right. to some of the messaging from the party 
But what people have to realize is that that does not have any ties to libertarianism whatsoever because that is collectivism. And Ayn Rand yeah. talked about that. She said, uh, what did she say? It was uh, the lowest, most crudely primitive form of collectivism is what uh, Ayn Rand called racism. It doesn't fit within libertarianism at all. And Ron Paul says the same thing. We just think that the obsession with racism culturally is grossly overemphasized and that it is not the a problem to the degree that Democrats and progressives think that it is. We actually, human beings are not perfect, but we think they're better than what a lot of these people out there are claiming that humanity is. We, we actually, I think that humanity is a little bit above the bar they've set. You know, so we deleted the, that line in the rights and discrimination plank but we did replace it with something that I thought was much better and more precise. And I personally helped to workshop the language. What's, um, what's that? It says, I'm, I'm reading it from my phone. We uphold and defend the rights of every individual, regardless of their race, ethnicity, or any other aspect of their identity. That sounds, there you go. That sounds very racist. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, because what is a bigot? We don't know, you know, a bigot is, well, we don't like you because you, uh, you said you are part of the Mises caucus, therefore you're a bigot. Okay. Well, we actually uphold everyone's rights, regardless of their race, ethnicity, their gender, whatever. There you go. That's what, that's what we're about. The other thing, and this is obviously me saying this, not you, what I would say is that racism, we can all agree about it being morally wrong. The bigger part is what power do the racists have to control other people? And once yeah. you attack that problem, once you solve that problem, then, okay, people are going to be racist or bigots or whatever it is. But if they yeah. have no control over you, if they have no power over you, uh, if the market can spring forward uh, new ideas that can solve problems, if you have that free market and you don't have the control in the government, well, okay, it's, it's bad. And we agree that it's bad, but... Uh, you know what I mean? It, it kind yeah, of fixes itself. Yeah. It does. It does. And wouldn't you prefer to know if someone this is kind of a piece of human garbage? Yeah. I'd, I'd prefer to know. Like the whole bake the cake thing? Go to a different bakery. Why do you, what, what are you doing? Why do you want, what do you want a bigot cake for? You're like, I want the bigot cake. I want the anti-gay cake. Don't do that. That's weird. That's like some weird fetish. Like, let's just let's just move on and find somewhere else to get our cupcakes. Yeah, I want to know if a bakery doesn't want to serve libertarians or you yes. know, if they're commies like I, I and they hate libertarians. They don't want to serve me. Well, I'd like to know that. I'll just give my money well, to someone else. And this is a thing that we encountered in L.A. a whole lot, which is where I lived for a long time until I recently relocated. Uh, you would see in the store shops like it became so incredibly politicized you'd figure out really quickly where you are or are not welcome and it's like just take your business down the street you can get a sandwich somewhere else it's it's, it's uncomfortable it's like stifling and uncomfortable to sit down for a meal in a place where you know that you are absolutely hated and if they knew more about you they would toss you out or spit in your food yeah, that, in Nashville, not quite the same situation going on over here, but that does sound really uncomfortable. Uh, you should leave yeah. California. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I'm uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, you're in Austin so now, I have, okay. okay. I have relocated uh, about a month and a week ago. I got you. Well, congrats on that. Congrats on making it out. Now, listen, I know you take one look at me and think, Nate, you're a stone-cold fox. 
I bet you've been reeling in the ladies with that beautifully bearded face for years. That's actually not the case. I've never been able to grow a respectable beard until the last couple months. What did I find out? Having a great looking beard requires work. Whether it's beard growth oils, styling products, top of the line trimmers, there's a ton of products out there to help you grow your best beard. I thought it was just going to happen all on its own, just overnight. But guess what? I'm not that guy. I can't do it. I've never been that guy. But luckily, Beard Club is here to help. As the leader in beard-first men's growth and grooming, Beard Club delivers quality hardware and consumables that will help you get a better, thicker, and fuller-looking beard. Now listen, every morning I get up and I use the beard oil from Beard Club. I take my beard growth vitamins as soon as I get to work. At night, I use the beard growth spray. And a couple times a week, I use the Derma Roller, which stimulates those stubborn, lazy hair follicles that have been letting me down all these years. That's right. I got the beard growth kit from the website. And if you've had a lot of issues like I have, uh, then that's the one that I would personally recommend. But if you're already on track and you're already growing that beard, they got a lot of really great products too. I'm just, I'm just not up that ladder yet. But after a couple months using these products, holy crap. My beard is actually looking better, fuller, more legit, and I finally have the confidence to go to a Libertarian Party convention and hang out with all those other classical Libertarian beards. So head over to beardclub.com GML, take the beard quiz, and use my code GML at checkout. They'll recommend the best beard kit that's tailored to fit your needs. No matter what type of beard you have, Beard Club has the perfect kit to fit your needs. Beard Club, over 2 million beards served. Grow your best beard today and take 20% off your first order when you go to beardclub.com slash GML. Use code GML. That's beardclub.com slash GML. Once again, use code GML for 20% off your first order. Okay, another a couple other things from this article because it was just totally ridiculous, and I, and I wanted to talk about some of these things because they're really common things you hear. They talk about Gary Johnson being the most successful libertarian presidential candidate in history, 4.5 million votes, three times more than any previous libertarian candidate, and I have been saying since that election, yeah, that's because look at the other two choices that there were. Yeah. That's always been what I I we were saying before the 2020 election, libertarians we're going to get a smack in the face because here they thought they were growing and everyone was becoming libertarian magically because of Gary Johnson. No offense, I guess. Offense to Bill Weld, maybe not as much to Gary Johnson, but no, it's look at the other options that people had. It was a protest yeah. vote, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Gary's a nice guy, but what we have to really do is we have to understand like what is the purpose of getting someone elected or getting a lot of votes it's not just to win a contest on paper. It, it's supposed to move the needle in the direction of liberty. We need to shift the Overton window. And I did not see Gary Johnson's race do that. I did not. Uh, we gained like, I think like 7,500 new new members that year at the national level, which is great. But uh, most of them dropped off over a period of two years. People are not, people who voted for Gary Johnson were just like, oh, I they made a, often they made a split decision, a last minute decision, like literally as they're filling it out. And they were like, ugh, gross. And then they just put Gary Johnson instead and said, ah, screw it. That's not a deep thought about liberty. That's not a commitment to advancing individualism. It's just, 
it's like a throwaway decision at the ballot. Yeah. Sorry, that, everyone. I just deflated Gary Johnson. You know? <laughs> well, I, I he's a nice like, person. It just didn't it didn't do what we were hoping it would do. I, I just feel like if your goal is just to win an election, then, you know, join the Republican Party. You could yeah. probably have a, a way higher odds of winning an election. Like if it doesn't matter if you are an actually a true libertarian. And I'm sorry, he lost me with the cake baking thing. That's And I, it's just... A lot of other stuff was great, but that's a fundamental problem right there. That is a fundamental free association, and I I couldn't vote for him at that point, and I and I left the party at that time over something like that. I was just like, this is ridiculous, guys. But here's the big problem. This is what I see uh, in this article: the insurgents. That's you and uh, a bunch of your friends are funded yeah. by donors who have been close to former President Donald Trump. I don't know if they mean in proximity, like if people have been like close to know. him, physically close, suggesting the takeover is part of a coordinated Republican strategy to destroy a party that has been draining away Republican votes. Angela, are you actually working for the Republican Party trying to destroy the LP to get Republicans <laughs> elected? I'm not. If I if I was working for the Republican Party, you would see like a little bit more on the blank walls back here. But <laughs> I'm still on this shoestring libertarian budget, you know, got to slowly decorate my new home. Um, I think the only person that they can accurately point to is the former CEO of Overstock, Patrick Byrne. Is it Byrne or Byrne? I'm not sure. I always mess this up. So sorry, Mr. Byrne or Byrne. Uh, what's interesting about that is he actually spoke at the California Libertarian Party State Convention in 2017 prior to the caucus existing under leadership that is definitely not caucus membership. So he's actually been moving in our circles for quite a while. And like a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, I think he drank the Trump Kool-Aid. I also think he got a little bit burned in the process and had a lot going on and it's like no hard feelings, right? Like I appreciate his support. I appreciate anyone else's support. A lot of people got kind of duped by Trump and, you know, that whole thing fell apart. And I think that most people realized it fell apart as soon as he fired drones onto Syria. That was, woo, you know, um, the mask dropped. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's really our only strong, um, strong connection to Donald Trump is we had one donor who'd been around for ages. Of yep. course, they're not going to touch any of our other other uh, large donors, and I'm not going to say their names or, you know, put them under scrutiny. But I'll tell you that a lot of the party's biggest donors who are not affiliated with the caucus also donate to a lot of GOP candidates and Democratic candidates strategically because they're not strict party loyalists. So I hate to burst their bubble. To me, I think the argument doesn't really work unless you are going along the lines that the party is being destroyed. I guess that could be it. But the argument doesn't really work because they're also saying that it's becoming more right wing, which to me would suggest it's more attractive to people that are on the right, which sounds like it would siphon more votes than it away already from, was away from yeah. the Republican Party. And so I, I don't really see that argument playing out very well. Yeah. Well, and this is also, this is, oh man, it's really taken me 
a little while to come to terms with the fact that a lot of people in the Libertarian Party behave just like low information voters and Republicans and Democrats. It's very sad, but that is the truth. And the, you know, the best way to go about life, right, is to engage with the truth and be aware. Uh, in the uh, mid-2000s, there was an orchestrated attempt to make the party more mainstream and then to take it to the left, which it definitely did veer to the left culturally, ideologically. And what we have really done with the Mises Caucus is just put it back on track to libertarianism. That's what we've done. You know, we got to we got to reject identity politics and say, no, 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 we're not about this. Call it out. Call it out. Name it for what it is. Say that we're going to oppose war. We don't care if it's unpopular. And uh, economic literacy does matter. And if people get up in arms over that, like, I am so sorry, but that is what we're here to do. We do things that are in alignment with our platform. And if you don't like it, you know, too bad, so sad. Yeah. I, do you think the the Overton window has shifted so much that those things right there just kind of seem like ultra white oh, yeah. right wing things now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like Elon Musk, people scream that he's, you know, alt right, you know, all the names in the book. He's like barely center right. He's kind of center left on a lot of things. Well, he supports I, UBI. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Dore, he gets called now like a, a MAGA progressive. I, it's bewildering. Everybody who doesn't toe the line or use the right words is an evil white supremacist Nazi. Even if you are uh, believing in Medicare for all or UBI or all of that stuff, you're, you're still a, an evil Republican. Yeah, so there's there's a couple other things here where they talk about how libertarianism, because a lot of this article has to do with with racism and and like what you were just talking about, it seems like if you just don't tow whatever the mainstream party line is, especially more so on the left, then you're just a racist or a Nazi, fascist, whatever. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of this is, because what I notice in this article is the only thing they ever call out is that LPNH tweet. And then removing that line from the party uh, from the party rules, but they of course don't include the new line that was put in there. They just yep. talk about the one that was taken out, and so it really seems like this whole conversation and this argument where you have to try and prove that you're not racist somehow. It it sounds like you're just kind of arguing now from their point of view. They won. You have to or uh, they're on the moral high ground and you're the one that's Correct. defending yourself instead of just saying this is just more of the same. This is just everything that we've been seeing increasing over the last few years. And to me, that's really what it seems like is happening. I would like to see some more examples. And if there are uh, just ardent racists inside of the party, well, I don't like that, but I would need to see it and not just take someone telling me that they exist. I guess we've had uh, we've had two or three pretty racist people pop up in the Mises caucus and we were actually able to toss them out within a matter of hours. Ironically, it takes the party a lot longer because you have to go through the, like a lot of due process and you have to figure out like, Oh, is this just cause you have to whip votes? You have to wait for a meeting, but in the caucus, you know, it's just a text to leadership. Look at this. I don't like how this looks. Oh, yeah. Did you talk to him? I tried talking to him. He doubled down. Kick him out. It's about, it's about yeah. an hour, you know, if you're waiting back and forth for clarification, trying to coordinate. So it's we actually police our own pretty well. 
Uh, so just a word they said about libertarianism. They say it offers a vision of the heroic individual who sustains himself without any external support and says, I don't depend on anybody. I can take care of myself. And they talk about how that is a, a fantasy and allows people to separate. I, I just wanted to clarify that. It doesn't say I don't depend on anybody. I can take care of myself. It says mainly I'm not going to force anyone else to labor on my behalf so I can take what they labored for and then depend on that. Uh, I'm going to have to depend on myself. And hopefully I got friends and family that could help me out. Are libertarians against helping people when they're in need? No, this is so weird. Uh, I, th I feel like this is just like this really basic straw man caricature. We just did a huge push for aid for people in Florida who were hurt by Hurricane Ian, like a big orchestrated push. We got supplies from, from Walmart. We did it all voluntarily. I mean, one of the best things about being in the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian Party is the sense of community you get from like-minded individuals and people who are willing to help you out. Uh, there's, there's a really cool thing. I think it's called $5 Liberty Meme Club, where it's like a mutual aid society and you just join essentially like a Facebook group or a Patreon and people's causes come up and you try to donate at least $5 a month to help someone get a wheelchair van or, you know, someone who was in a car accident, pay off their medical bills, things like that. Like we're, we're all about that. Um, we wouldn't be able to survive without it. It would be a, you know, that's like living in solitary confinement. If you, if you don't rely on anyone else for anything ever, it's, it's not a good way to live. Yeah. Now, um, what about all the, we got a lot of cultural issues happening right now. Is there any place for the libertarian party or libertarianism in general, uh, in, in your point of view, like on any of this stuff, or is it just something that we need to stay out of? Um, let's think about this. So let's break this down. I think that we absolutely should engage in a culture war. And the way that we need to do that is by forging our own path and our own culture. And there are going to be things on the left and the right that we hate and things that we like. And we have to use wisdom and discernment to pick, you know, this, this value represents us, this value does, this value does not, and do our own thing. People get really touchy and sensitive about culture war stuff. But the reality is you have to build culture because culture is what moves politics. And uh, if you completely ignore culture, people will look at you as though you're a tone deaf idiot and not pay attention to you. So you, you've got to engage culturally. You just need to be smart about how you do it. I think uh, what a lot of people let's say on the right would want to know is, uh, is there any place, do libertarians think that there is any place for government when it comes to uh, say culture wars involving children? I think the best thing that you should do is to pull your kids out of public school because it is an absolute hellhole indoctrination center. It has been infested with far left socialist communist, even progressive ideology since at least the 1960s. There's plenty of evidence for that. Um, and the best thing to do is pull your kids out. I think the second best thing to do is to advocate for school choice, which a lot of libertarians do. And maybe the third best thing to do is to get involved at the school board level and try to decide what teachers are and are not allowed to teach your kids. We really believe that 
education is the responsibility of the family. And to that extent, the family should be in control of it as much as possible. So government policies should not come from top down. Any policies that are being enacted at the school school level, they really need to be guided by the parents. So as a libertarian, should I see a bigger threat to my liberty from the left or the right, or are those both the same thing? I don't think they're exactly the same. I think they're pretty close. And I think right now the bigger threat is from the left. And in the past, it's been from the right. And it kind of ping pongs back and forth. And I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple of years. My concern is that the right is going to get too reactive and course correcting and that things are going to get a little bit ugly and a little bit fashy. And so I would just encourage people to like, don't go overboard. Like owning the libs should not be your, your highest order in your existence. It should really be individualism, taking care of your family and so on and so forth. Like try to disengage from those people as much as you can. And, and Conservatives have been playing defense to progressives for a long time. They really need to understand that. And instead of just always trying to own them, like you've got to get ahead of them. And then most importantly, you've got to get away from them. And that's what libertarianism is about. It's about building your own future, you know, not just constantly playing to the left. I like it. I like it. So I got a, I got a few questions here from people from our live group, if you don't mind, got to go through a few of those. So Dave was asking about basically what we've been talking about, this article from The Hill, uh, some of the hit pieces that you've seen. We've seen Crowder and Shapiro and Prager and uh, a lot of people going, going off on libertarianism lately. We've tried to address some of it as we saw it, but um, he said this could be a sign that people are fearing the LP uh, but is there any change in strategy that must happen to put down those attacks? Or is this proof the strategy is working and the plan is to ignore those attacks and continue forward, which is not what we did today. We did not ignore the attacks. It's a little bit of both. You've got to use judgment. I mean, you've got to respond strategically. Honestly, most of our negative press does not come from LPNH, deleted tweets, things like that. It comes from our haters. It comes from people who kind of take the attitude of the the evil woman in the story of King Solomon deciding the dispute over the baby. There are people there are people out there who say, cut the baby in half. If I can't have it, no one can. Let's kill it. Like people who are really filled with malice. And sometimes we need to ignore them and sometimes we have to address them. But I do think that regardless of where the criticism is coming from, people are doing it because they're they're afraid of the changes that we're making. Yeah, whether they're afraid that they're irrelevant, you know, or uh, or that we're a real threat. I totally agree with that. I would say I I don't think the Republican Party is super worried if someone in the Democratic Party talks about how terrible the Republican Party is, or vice versa. And I think that getting to that point where people are attacking you as a party really is. Mm-hmm. Pr- meaning that you're getting up to the level of the other parties. And if it is coming from people inside the Libertarian Party, I think the most you can do is try and figure out what those people's intentions are. Is is there any truth to what they're saying? Is there any value to what they're saying? Should this be considered whatsoever? Uh, and then also take into account that whatever we've been doing for the last 50 years doesn't look like it's working all that well. Uh, yep. So all that stuff has to be taken into account. Um, 
Costco says, uh, we see, why do we see so much fracturing in the LP, especially on key issues that could win votes? Abortion being a big one. If the LP ran on 15 week ban with exceptions, they'd smoke a lot of Republicans and Democrats. That's from Costco. Well, the LP has been split on abortion for years and years and years, many years. And so what we did with deleting the abortion plank was deleted from the national platform. As the party basically said, candidates and members can decide how they want to approach abortion. Because we're just not going to agree on it. It's been it's been a huge, ugly fight. I abstained on the on the vote, and then I later thought, mm, actually, I think that was good. I think it was good that we deleted it because we just don't agree, and it's just it's a, an embarrassing, stupid fight. People who are in the South are going to be more pro-life. People in big cities are usually more pro-choice, and just best of luck to you, however you're running. You know, that's that's up to you. Yeah, I I think there's valuable arguments on both sides. Uh, of this idea, I yeah. under, I understand fully both sides of of the arguments, even on the libertarian side, for sure. And the other thing I would say, when you know you talk about letting the states and the local parties do their own thing, I do like that because I think right now we're still thinking from a top down mindset yeah. because we look to that authority figure upon high to tell everyone what it is they need to do. Instead, I think the Libertarian Party is thinking in the proper direction, bottom up. So but I would just offer that out there. Uh, T-Dub says, is the LP preparing for the 2024 election cycle already? And can you comment on what to expect next year in terms of campaigning, fundraising, candidates, referendums, stuff like that? Anything getting set up for 2024 right now? Yes, Yes. So right now we are focusing on building more robust affiliate support and candidate support at the national level, getting tools and resources that we're going to share with our state and county affiliates. I think that's really important. And it does take like a year and a half to build the infrastructure for this stuff, to train people and to get people onboarded. So a lot of people were were critical and they're like, oh, why aren't you doing more for 2022? Do something, do something. Well, we're doing a little bit, and we have actually funded candidates um, at the national level, which is sadly unprecedented. Like, it doesn't happen very much in the past 20 years. I, that's a whole other rant. But um, we are preparing for 2024. We had over 600 candidates run this time, which is actually down a little bit from our, from our last uh, couple of years. I think that's a good thing because it means that we're running – less paper candidates who are not running serious campaigns and we have more volunteers to work on the campaigns. So I'm encouraging people to run at the local level. I'm encouraging people to understand what it means to run a serious campaign and, you know, to, to take it seriously, even if you're not going to win, make it an information campaign and make it strategic. Try to get, try to get um, like a really low level appointment out of it, you know, like all kinds of things. So, Lots of good stuff to look forward to for 2024. Very nice. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask about was, is there any, are there any talks of a path to unification for some of these disaffected libertarians right now that are upset? Do you think that's something that needs to happen? Is it something that's ever talked about? How can we win these people over? Uh, you know, what would you say to me if I were a pragmatic 
libertarian. I, I've got a lot of friends that are. We've had, uh, you know, we've had Dan on the show, uh, Dan Fishman on the show a bunch of times before. And let's say I truly, uh, I had no malice or no negative intentions, but I truly believe that that was the way to go. What would you say oh, to I me think- to convince me that this is better and that we can all work together? I mean, for people like that, I take the same tactic that I take with Republicans and Democrats is that you're going to have to give us a little bit of time to demonstrate to you that we're quite serious about running a professional organization. There's so much behind the scenes stuff that goes on with staff that I can't you know, really talk about, but we've been working to professionalize everything at the national level. And you need to give us a chance to roll that out. Um, and then we can see if we really do care about the same things, which is individualism and moving the needle in the direction of liberty in our lifetime. I think, though, that a lot of the people who are recalcitrant haters are not interested in unification. They are interested in destroying the party and tearing it down. And to that extent, I'm, I'm not bending over backwards to make peace deals with people who would openly lie, slander, steal steal a lot of money some of them that it's just you got to just let those people go that that's not healthy for it's not healthy for the national organization it's not healthy for state affiliates it's not a good environment for the rest of our hard-working activists to be in either so i i wanted to say before we go like i told you i'm not a member of the lp and i i really i you guys, uh, if you find a way to get me to sign up, I bet you sign up a lot of people, not because I signed up, but because I bet there's a lot of people that are like me out there and I can't figure out, I can't figure out why, why I'm, why I'm not there yet. Charlie's there. He's not here today. Unfortunately, I've done it before. We agree on pretty much everything. And, um, and I just haven't felt that motivation to, to go do it yet. And if you can win me over, that might be a way to, you're also winning over a lot of people at the same time. Um, have you guys talked about those strategies to, uh, you know, bring some people over the, over the line? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things I would say, first of all, is, is we really value the input and opinions of people who are, who are in your position because you are our target demographic, people who are libertarian, who are liberty minded, who really understand things. Those are the people that we want to join first and foremost. You are you are the low-hanging but very important fruit. <laughs> um, and we shouldn't be stepping over you to grab people who don't agree with us ideolo- ideologically and begging them to join. People like you make our organization much stronger, especially if someone who has like a, a podcast and is like a polished professional. Like there's there's so much you could contribute, even if you were just giving little tidbits of advice here and there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like my pitch to you would be like, if you want to give creative input, if you want to help move and shape the direction of the party, now is the perfect time to join because your contribution will be magnified so much more over the next couple of years than it would have been two or four years ago. Um, and then I would also say that current leadership is is going to see that and appreciate it and value you more and that we are going to do things that are more in alignment with your own personal values. And I think that you would be really excited about the direction we're taking the party in 2024. So to that extent, I would say 
please join at lp.org. It's just $25 a year. Um, I don't like to do hard sales because I want to meet people where they're at. Cause I think that's like the most important thing you can do is just like recognize someone's misgivings, their uncertainty and say, I see all of that and I feel you. And I I've felt the same way in the past, but let's just sort of like, um, let's do it together. Let's, let's, uh, let's join and see how far we can take it. That, um, that, that might've no worked right there. I can, I'll there let everyone go. know later on, but that was pretty good. I think you might need to go do, door to door with that thing. Just, and, you know. and no one's watching, no one's looking over your shoulder to see who you vote for. Yeah. We don't do that kind of culty stuff. Like you vote your conscience at the ballot box. We want your support internally because that's, that's where we're going to be making changes right now. I like it. Angela, I think that that's a perfect spot to leave it at if you don't have anything else. I mean, we covered a lot of great stuff, a lot of problems that people are bringing up that I don't really think are real problems yet. One more thing. Did we get two-factor authentication on the Twitter setup? We already have that. Okay. All right. Making sure. Just wanted to, that was yeah, my last thing. That was that. the last thing I had. It's, okay. it's wild, man. People out there <laughs> on the internet knowing how to do crazy things. Yeah, I did, get, I did get some uh, NFTs though, or whatever uh, crypto or what I can. Ugh, can. <laughs> that poor guy, he got it worse. He got it worse than we did. That poor, that poor man was hacked so hard. At least we didn't lose money. He he lost some money. All right, Angela McArdle, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Okay, um, hang on. Uh, Sorry. Oh, 